we're here. This is episode three of the Nomadic Gregors podcast. I'm Anna. I'm Cameron. We are the Nomadic Gregors. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. All six of you. <laughs> so maybe by the end of this episode and by the time it loads, it'll be seven. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. So today we thought that we would maybe spend some time talking about what it means to be an expat since the whole point of this podcast is just to share experiences about living abroad and what exactly does that mean and well if you live abroad for long enough then you become an expat so what exactly is that? I don't think you have to live abroad long enough but I think once you move abroad you're an expat but anyways you know we focused our first episode on a little bit of background information about us um, our second episode was just a quick detour about traveling during COVID and now we figured we would talk about what it means to be an expat. We'll spend the next couple episodes on this. You know, there's no shortage of information and podcasts, websites about traveling, getting good deals, accruing points, all of that. And those are things that we practice as well, uh, whether it's, you know, maximizing our credit card travel points, whether it's um, uh, our loyalty to certain airlines or hotels, or those little things, you know, tips and tricks, and we might do some of that as we go on. If that's something that interests you, leave it down in the comments and we'll see what you guys want to hear more about. And of course, that'll be great for us to put into other episodes and, and get more ideas of what you actually want to hear about. But many of the travel people that we do follow and we know, not all by any means, I know there's some great ones that do live abroad, are just travelers, not necessarily expats. Um, and they may not settle down in one country for a certain amount of time or any length of time. And so we figured we would focus on what it means to us anyway to be an expatriate and uh, all the things that entails, whether that's, you know, day-to-day -day life, uh, going to the doctor, whether that's finding jobs, although we can only speak so much about that as we are in a specific field. But the other thing that I think is interesting um, about why it's kind of important to think about what exactly does that mean to be an expat is because now with the way that work is changing, we're seeing more and more people take advantage of the remote work policies in their places of work and maybe choosing to go to a specific country for like a six month stint or take advantage of this place's digital nomad visa for people that are freelancers and that kind of thing. And that of course means that there's more people interested in really understanding what that means, whether they do it with a specific time frame or they just move abroad for good. Yeah, there are more people doing that. And, you know, that's something that is really open to anybody. If they are willing to, you know, start their own business or depending on what career they have. And with the pandemic, more and more people are working remotely. Uh, it might mean, depending on what you do, that you spend more time online at 2 in the morning <laughs> if you have team meetings, you know. Oh, yeah. But um, that's a personal choice. But it gives you more freedom. That being said, well, we'll talk more about that perhaps in another episode uh, because being able to stay in one place while you're doing that is not the same as working officially in that place. Absolutely. I want to start with actually kind of posing a question for you because when you said when you move abroad, you become an expat, I don't entirely agree with that. And let's think about the example of the fact that we have both technically studied abroad. So you did a study abroad program in Russia. I did a study, well, a study abroad 
Um, I went to grad school in Seattle, which is actually where we met. And we were both there for limited periods of time, but I don't know about you, but I didn't consider myself an expat during the year I lived in Seattle. Should I have? Okay, so I think yes. I don't think I was, I think you were. So I'm glad you brought this up. I'm glad you brought this up because that's (laughs) where where I want to start anyway. Okay. So for me, an expat is someone who lives or works in another country. Generally, you might have your own place, you might be paying bills there, you might be. you might be working, you might not. You, might. you know what, when you say it like that then, if you, those are the things that you consider, then I was an expat because I had a job and I paid taxes in the US and I had an account in the US and all of that. So I guess that by those benchmarks, given that I had all of those things that kind of allowed me to settle into the place and you know be like a functional member of society there then i guess i was an expat i just have this idea in my head that if you're an expat you're somewhere for like a more extended period of time and a year of grad school didn't really feel that way that's fair but a year is still a year and you were in like that becomes in a way your home and you go home at night that's your home, right? That's true. That's very When true. I studied abroad in Russia, I was doing a homestay, and that wasn't really my home. Like, I had a room, sure, but, like, I had a drunk step <laughs> homestay father and an overly doting Russian homestay mother who was very sweet, Aww. but it wasn't my home. It was just a room, and it wasn't... It was comfortable enough, I guess. Okay, now that you're bringing the whole it wasn't home thing, let's let's keep going on like the feelings that make you an expat or not. If you remember in our time in Shanghai, like in the beginning, when my culture shock was at its highest, I kept saying this doesn't feel like home. Shanghai is not home for us. And eventually that changed. So even if you're living in a place for a number of years, are you still an expat even if that place doesn't feel like home for you? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, I guess that the, the, the difference is like, I guess, how comfortable you feel has a lot to do with how integrated you are into the culture and into the place itself and how comfortable you are with everyday life. It's just one of those things where it's like, in my head, sometimes I think that there are like all of these pieces that you need to have in place to be considered an expat or a legit expat. And I don't know, I guess that's not true. I don't know about legit, but for example, <laughs> for me, you know, if someone is traveling, like backpacking across Europe, you're not an expat, you're just a traveler. Even if they're traveling for years on end? What if someone is traveling like... Years, years on end, that's fine, but most, okay. most people don't do that. Most people, you know, they take a gap year or something, they go out of college, and they spend six months going from France to Spain to Bulgaria to Italy to wherever, right? And so you're not necessarily an expat because you, you don't have the intention necessarily of staying there. So when you did your study abroad, you wanted to stay in the U.S. When you were I done, did. you tried. That, I it did, It didn't yeah. work. It did. Okay. So I think for me, an expat is you, you, that intention of not going back home. So when the intention changes, is that when you become an expat or like when you make the move of, okay, I'm going to leave 
I might leave for a specific period of time. I might not. Is that when it happens? Is that when you I think so. An and I think there's a difference in between like an expat and a nomad. Like, so the people that roam for years and in might be more just nomadic. They're still expats in a sense, but they don't necessarily have a place that they're going home to at the end of every work day. Like, for them, they might not know where they're staying next. Or a lot of the travel people today, you know, they... I follow one couple who sold their or got rid of their apartment in New York and now just moved from place to place with their child. Okay. Which is great. And they're expats in the same sense, but they also are not... They're nomadic expats? Yeah. Okay. Which is a different lifestyle. Okay. Let's talk about people that go on vacation to one place and then they decide that they're never going to leave. Are those people expats? Yeah, why not? Okay. So, well, I mean, because they, you know, they come on vacation for three weeks, but I guess it takes like a longer process for them to, I don't know, I guess settle in. But once they stay, they're expats, right? I don't think it has anything to do with settling in. <laughs> like once you know you're staying somewhere, that becomes your home. Whether you like it or not, whether you call it home, that's your home. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't know. I think I had. I, I think I had a very like narrow home is where you just, you're hanging up your hat at the end of the day. And generally, I can you know again the nomadic people are less likely to have apartments, less likely to have houses, less likely to have a permanent residence. That's true. Whereas if you go on vacation for three months and you stay, you're finding somewhere that you're going to stay for a while. You're renting, you're buying, whatever, depending on the laws of the country where you are. So, yeah. So expats. People that move outside of their home country and settle in. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think that's a pretty, a pretty, na a pretty simple definition that kind of covers a lot of of different categories of people and people of different walks of life that end up outside of their countries of origin. Yeah, yeah, yeah we agree on a definition. <laughs> I don't know if our definition is right, but that's how I view it. That's, that's fair. My opinion. Anyways. So now that we've got that aside, and you can know whether you're an expat or not. Or um, would you want to be? Maybe you... now you're trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, I figured today we'd talk about culture shock. <laughs> this been... I, can, I can see where this is going. Well. I know at least one story that will come up. <laughs> there's at least, there's a couple stories. But I mean, I think this would be culture shock. Everyone's going to go through culture shock when you move abroad. You're going to go through culture shock even when you take a vacation. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so there's four um, main stages of culture shock. Um, five, I believe, if you count the Reverse. last one. Yeah. So the first stage is the honeymoon phase. Okay, it's where you go somewhere, most people experience this when they go on vacation, because um, you're there for two, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks, even a month, everything is awesome. Yeah, it's that stage when everything is fun and shiny and you're excited and everything seems super fun and it's just a big adventure and generally speaking, like you're just telling all these stories to people like of all of the things that you're doing and all the people <clears throat> that you're meeting and yeah, it's very much a honeymoon phase. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm here. Very much that. Yeah, so when we went to Paris, Anna was in very much honeymoon phase. Oh, absolutely. But then again, we had been talking about me going to Paris for the last 12 years. So yeah, I was going to honeymoon hard. So, I mean, you know, again, it can be a vacation, you know, uh, for us as international educators, honeymoon phase, usually you arrive to a country, your school takes you in, shows you around, um, shows you where to get groceries, things like that. 
Um, and then you get excited because you're, you're, you're in an apartment or a house and you get some opportunity to make it your own. You're going to Ikea or wherever. You're buying bed sheets and things that hang on the wall and all this fun stuff. You're remaking your own home and or waiting for a shipment to arrive of the stuff you already have. Yeah, and you're, you're starting to kind of like also find things that maybe could be similar to where you came from or when you start finding like those little things that make you super happy and it's like, oh my God, I can find this product that I love here and all that is like part of the, the honeymoon phase when you start making friends and in the beginning you're like trying to be a little bit more social than you might be originally just because you want to kind of settle in and find your tribe and all of that. And so of course that all becomes really exciting at first. And I think that's very much like part of that stage one, probably the first like month. Month, two months, it depends on where you are, it depends on all sorts of things, you know. And again, yeah. as a traveler, if you're just traveling, it's you're staying maybe at a hostel and you meet people, you go out, you do things, or um, you're at a hotel and you're getting room service. And, or you find an awesome restaurant, or you finally get to go um, and see the pyramids, any number of things, right? It's all these just little things that you can't do back home that are awesome and exciting and everything's going smoothly. Or like when you are, say when you're traveling and if you live in a place where there's not a lot of public transportation but you love going around on public transportation, the ability to like take the train everywhere or walk everywhere, like all of those things when you experience them when you're traveling, like that's all part of like, oh yes, this is amazing, this is exciting, it's, it's different from what I get to do every day. So yeah, it's, it's a part of a lot of excitement and a lot of highs. It's all high. That's why it's called the honeymoon <laughs> phase, right? Yeah. Um, so that lasts, yeah, I mean, it depends on the person and the place, a month, two months, sometimes maybe only a week, it just depends. Um, so that really can, as an expat, that can really set you up for a huge drop coming to the next phase. If you're not used to being an expat, if you are not comfortable being away from home, or if you're not comfortable in a place where you don't speak the language, maybe, uh, and... You know, some people we've found aren't cut out to be expats, and there's nothing wrong with that. They just miss their families back home, or the struggle of miscommunication between you and your uh, the people of your host country is too great, and they do their contracts and they head out, and that's fine. But that brings us to the second phase, which is sort of the resentment phase. Phase. Stage two. Stage two. I call it the rage stage. <laughs> because everything makes you, everything frustrates you. I call it the I want to go back home right now phase. Well, and the thing about this phase is, so this phase, everything frustrates you, even if it has nothing to do with where you're living. Absolutely. You might be at home and you lose your keys, you lose your glasses, or you break a glass, anything, and you take it out and you blame it on where you're living. Right? Everything is this country's fault, this place's fault, I hate this place, why is everything so stupid? Yeah, it's very much the pile of frustrations of things being different from what you're used to and just because they're different or work slower than what you're used to, it's all terrible and everything is very, very, very frustrating. There's um, some strong pangs of homesickness for people um, once people are maybe like checking in less on you and you settle into your routines and you get busy with work and all of that and the excitement of those first weeks and those first months kind of starts waning down a little and life is just normal 
then those smaller things that are just, you know, the, the, the nuances of daily life start getting to you. And it's like, oh my God, why did I do this? I made a terrible mistake. I want to go back home. I don't know if I can do this. And you know, you, you start missing your family and your friends and the comforts of home and, and the processes of home and your, your coping mechanisms start to fail at times. Yeah, for people, for a lot, for some people, well, for everyone, this is the make it or break it phase. Oh, yeah. If you don't get past this, then you're not going to last where you are. And for some people, this may last a month. For some people, it may last a year. It just depends, right? But everyone's going to hit this phase. And just because you, quote unquote, get past it, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have a day or a stint again once you are a little bit more settled where you experience this stage two again there's going to be days and there's going to be weeks where everything is terrible and you hate it here or you hate it there it happens it's true we'll come back to that because that's stage three um so yeah you know i mean everyone goes through it anna has been through it probably more than i have um you know for me i'm more of a go with the flow kind of person uh, and so I'm not as phased by bigger things like maybe she was. I'm not going to say anymore. She's not. So do you want to tell a story? I'll let you tell a story. Well, I'm actually going to tell two stories. Okay. So because you don't know this because at the time you didn't know me. So when I first moved to Seattle, like you would have thought that, well, I was moving to the United States. I speak English. I had friends in Seattle, so it was going to be fine. But I did a summer program first and then my master's started. But in the meantime, there was a one month lull where I had nothing to do. No school. I didn't have a job yet because I was only allowed to work on campus under the terms of my visa. So I was at home and I had nothing to do. My Some of my friends were out of the country or out of the state. So I didn't really have many people to talk to. The people in my summer program, many of them were also going to different colleges. So they were all spread around the United States. That month was dark. It was dark. I wanted to go home so badly. My sisters even brought it up. Like, why doesn't she just come home? And I'm like, well, my program hasn't even started. I have to stay. So I mean, eventually, you know, I started meeting people including Kelsey who's the person who introduced us um, and things started to get better and I started my program and I finished it but yeah that month was dark when I had nothing to do and then the other time was when we moved to Shanghai and you know we started exploring the neighborhood and <clears throat> we find this little restaurant we were looking for some place called food street we didn't oh, know what that right. meant at the time yeah we didn't know what that meant so we find a series of places that we think are food street. So we stop in a restaurant that has pictures on the menu. It had pictures, right? It had pictures. It had pictures, which was one of the things that we were advised to do if we ran into a place that didn't have an English menu because, you know, Mandarin and characters, we didn't know them. So we're like, okay. We lived we lived way out. We lived, we lived in Shanghai, but we weren't in the city center. So there wasn't a lot of... There was plenty of expats, but not a plenty of places that spoke English or had English on yeah. the menus. So we went for, you know, a place with pictures, and I point at something in the menu, which is noodles with a form of vegetables. So I'm like, okay, well, this is going to be a, a safe thing to eat. And then it came, and it had mushrooms that looked like coral reefs. We didn't know they were mushrooms at the time. Yeah, but it just looked like pieces of coral reef mushrooms that I had never seen in my life. 
So I started crying. She was distraught. I was, I, I, I didn't really know what to do with myself. And it's that combination of this is horrible because I don't know what it is, but also I really want to do well and he's going to be embarrassed and like disappointed in me. It was a horrible moment. I was, I felt bad. You wanted to laugh. Turns out, I mean, we did find Food Street. We were in the right spot. It was just Food Street just appears more in the morning and at night in this location. Um, it's street vendors versus restaurants. I felt bad. I was laughing. I, I didn't want to. I was laughing. <laughs> yeah. Because for me, it was funny because it didn't phase me. You know, I've eaten a bunch of things that Americans would consider strange that aren't strange to other people, but we would consider them strange. Um, but at the same time, I, like I said, I'm less phased by some of those little things. And you know, sometimes the phase one honeymoon stage can overwhelm even stage two. When I first went to Russia to study abroad, it was only the third time I think I'd ever um, been outside the U.S. And I'll tell another story about someone else's sort of stage two moment, but I won't mention any names. <laughs> anyway, so I, I went to Russia. I got there a day ahead of my program that I was supposed to arrive. I take a taxi into the city. Uh, in the process of taking a taxi, my cell phone slips out of my pocket, and I get to my hotel, where it's not really, I don't know if it's a hotel, or kind of like a homestay that I booked, and I had booked it for the wrong night. Oh, boy. But I was like, all right, whatever. So I talked to the host, and she had another place just across the street uh, that helped me carry my bags, because I had enough bags for six months worth of stay, and that was it, and I wasn't overly phased. Like, it didn't really bother me. I was just so excited. It was fine. You know, that's just not to say I've never had stage two moments. For me, it's more of the little day-to-day -day things that drive me nuts. Uh, whether it's driving. Driving. Driving drives me nuts. Um, <laughs> especially because in the places we've lived, there are road rules, but they're not observed. Um, A lot of the places where we've lived, you kind of survive on defensive driving. Yeah, and that includes Hawaii. Yes. Um, but just other little things. You know, when I studied, when I taught in Russia trying to use the bathroom or take a shower was a hassle. The shower had a key you had to get from the ladies who ran the entire dormitory. Sometimes they would give it to you, sometimes they wouldn't. There was one shower for about 40 people, which would get disgusting and just clogged full of hair. Ooh. You'd walk in, there'd be three inches of water and okay. a massive pile of hair. Okay. Um, so it was also me and uh, either uh, northern Chinese or Mongolian students on the dormitory. It was all for the foreigners. And, uh, you know, in other countries, sit-down toilets are not as common, especially in Asia. And they would not sit down on the toilet. They had, we had normal Western toilets, but they would stand on the seat and it was not cleaned often. And for me, that was a struggle. At this point, we were we were already dating. We were already in a in a committed relationship, and we were engaged for like the second part of his stint in Russia. So I'm hearing a lot of these things in in Skype conversations that were often interrupted multiple times because his internet was terrible and my internet was terrible. So I. At one point of his of his stint in Russia, we're already trying to plan a wedding, and we can't talk to each other. It was it was hard. It was really hard. Yeah, it was. But then you know, there's other moments that you would think would set off stage two, but don't. Like when I went to go see her at Christmas, and it's just me and this really drunk Russian guy, and we're just <laughs> drinking. It was a whole big ordeal, and I spent the night at the airport because there was three inches of ice everywhere. That's a story for another podcast. 
Or the last, when I was leaving Russia, uh, they turned off the water to the city, except for the hospital. The entire city had no running water, which meant that the bathrooms didn't work, the showers didn't work. I was forced to use the outhouse as part of the dormitory. Well, the outhouse is not Western toilets. The outhouse is holes in the ground with no dividers. There's just three about holes evenly spaced with about two feet between them Mm-mm. and a I'm quarter old. inch of stuff on the ground. Mm-mm. So you hold out, I held out as long as I could and there's just a couple guys smoking outside the, the outhouse and I go in and I'm trying not to fall backwards and they come in and they're smoking and they're having a conversation with me while I'm just pouring sweat trying to go to the bathroom. Now, I wasn't very happy in the moment but it didn't really set off stage two. And now it's just a funny story. And see, like, all of these little stories are also to say, if you're talking to someone that is an expat and they're telling you that something set off stage two for them, it could literally be anything. And all of it is perfectly valid because the way that we work as people and the things that face us and the things that shock us change from time to time and you know now that that we are more experienced expats things that you know five years ago would have set off a massive stage two you know two months of terribleness for me now i'm like "Eh, it's another day Eh, it's fine yeah you know um i wouldn't say they're all valid Fair enough. Sometimes you just get frustrated and you take it out on things that don't deserve it. That's true. Um, like, I, like we said, little things can really just drive you up the wall. And there are always going to be idiosyncrasies in wherever you're living. And that includes, for us, our home countries, that we have trouble standing. Yep. That I just I, I can't handle. Um, so another quick example of stage two was, I think it was, it was the second time I'd ever been abroad. And I was in Europe, and I was just with a friend. We were, uh, I won't say where, we were just in another country. And the fact that they didn't speak English was just too much for this friend. Like, it was, and then we get to England, and even though they spoke English, it was a lot. And so she was definitely having some stage two moments. And that's okay. It was her first time outside the country. And, you know, uh, at the time, I was like, wow, this is is bad but now having been abroad I'm like you know what that's perfectly acceptable yeah um, it's just a matter of getting used to things you know anyways that brings us sort of to stage three which is acceptance I think it's acceptance there's a different name for it and this is where you really just say to yourself okay this is where I'm living um, there's some good there's some bad there's, as Anna said earlier, there's going to be days where you just want to throw your laptop through the window uh, because everything sucks. But for the most part, you start to settle into a routine. For us, that means going to work. It means exercise. It means whatever. You know, all these little things that you get used to and that becomes your life. For the most part, when you're in stage three, you have some resemblance of the ropes. And yeah, of course, there are things that are frustrating, but you're not ready to pack your bags at everything that is frustrating. No. Um, it de- for us, it depended on where you lived. You know, the closer we got to a break as teachers, when we were living in China, for example, the closer we got to a break, the more stage two we created. <laughs> and all, and mo- all, I think, far as I experience, every expat, once they have an opportunity to leave China, take a break, 
everyone, it was a mass exodus of foreigners because you needed a break. And so for us, uh, if we felt that creeping in, we would just hop on a flight down to Hong Kong, which was kind of like China light. It was, had all the great aspects we loved about living in Shanghai without any of the negative things. And so that was our little escape. But, you know, as you get closer to a break and you feel that ability to go somewhere and do something, sometimes that stage two starts to creep back in. But again, that's, you know, depending on who you are and where you live. I don't feel that here. Like if we were, if we had to stay in Saudi over the summer, I would be a little frustrated at times. Uh, only though, I think because it's so hot and there's not much you can do outdoors. Yeah, that that would definitely be um, something that would be kind of hard to get past. Just that you're kind of confined to places with aircon because being outside is tough. It can be dangerous because the temperatures are so high. Yeah, I mean you can go outside. At night, when it cools, I mean, it cools, cools off. off. It just gets humid and you just sweat. Um, but you're at no risk, really, of, you know, getting uh, sunburned. Sunburned. I mean, you could still maybe get heat, heat stroke, stroke, maybe. Um, as long as you're smart and drink water. But So this is a place where I don't foresee stage two creeping in in those circumstances. For me, stage two happens mostly here when I drive because it's terrifying. You just see uh, <laughs> it's just... People going 1,000 miles an hour or 5 miles an hour. And China was the same. Luckily, we didn't drive in China. You'd have people going 100 miles an hour or people just stop on the freeway looking at their phones. Yes. And that was way more terrifying, and I would not drive there. Here, it's a little bit calmer. Um, you just The roads are a little bit worse, and I'm still getting used to it. Oh, for sure. I'm, I don't have a driver's license here yet. And I'm seriously thinking about whether I will have one at all because I already don't like driving because I need every single ounce of concentration that I can muster to be able to do it. I still kind of freak out when things are closer to me. I don't really have like a perception of what's around me accurately. I think everything is too close. So I don't know if this is the place for me to drive. She's Stay a, tuned. She's a, she's a white knuckler. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's a white knuckler. Yeah, and she's still really learning where things are. About. Anyways, so stage three is just kind of, all right, we're here, we're good. The dust settles. Yeah, you know how to, get, you know how to do all the basic things. You get groceries, um, and sometimes, as we said, stage two comes back up. Maybe you have to pay a bill and you have to deal with someone who doesn't speak English, and that's frustrating. But for the most part, you can survive without the help of others. Uh, which brings you to stage four, and in my experience, most expats rarely get to stage four because you're not in a place long enough, and that's where wherever you're living really becomes home. It's it's like immersion. Yeah, you are essentially immersed and fluid in the culture for the most part. Generally, you know, I think most experts would say you speak the language fluently. Yeah. At this point, which is why most expats never get there. Um, I don't know that you necessarily have to speak the language. I think it helps immensely. But um, this is where literally this is your home. You know you're not leaving for a long time. Yeah. You know, this takes a lot longer to get to. I would say five to ten years at least. Yeah. The people that you see most of the time that reach that immersion state are people that have lived in a place for maybe a decade or more. Yeah. And I do think really you need to have the language. Um, it's not... I think... Yeah, maybe I do think that you need to have the language to really hit this stage because... Until you have the language, you are always going to be somewhat of an outsider. Yeah. 
and even with it, depending on where you are, you're going to be an outsider. You yeah. Know? Um, in China, we would, even if we spoke Chinese, we're always going to be somewhat an outsider. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or Japan, or wherever. It just depends. You know, I can't go to the Dominican Republic probably and ever be Dominican. Yeah, I think that I think that with language and you know your closer understanding of the culture because you're married to a Dominican, you can reach a a closer level of immersion. But even even um, foreigners that I knew that had lived in the Dominican for a really really long time, they're immersed because they are in practice. But I don't know that the culture itself has like absorbed them. Let's put it that way. So I don't know. Yeah, immersion is just hard to get to. I think so, and I think it depends on where you live. You know, some expats tend to, um, if they're there long enough, they start to make friends outside the expat community. And expats tend to just live in a bubble. We live in Shanghai, a city of 28 million people, 26 million, I don't know. It's like, I think it's the largest city in the world still. But you could go somewhere and see somebody you knew. Oh, yeah. Because expats tend to go to the same places, do the same things. Um, so once you hit the stage four, uh, culture shock you're starting to have friends outside that community you're making more friends within the culture itself and again that's where language really plays into it and it might be easier in a place like Europe where people are more likely to speak English um, but I don't think I, I don't know many expats that have lots of friends locally yeah unless again you've lived there for a while I do follow someone who lives his home base is in Thailand he has quite a few Thai friends that he hangs out with um, but it depends, though, too. There's also, you know, people in their home cultures who seek out expats because they want those experiences. Maybe they can't afford to travel. Maybe they want to improve their English, so they seek you out. And that helps. But uh, very few people in my experience have reached this stage four. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's incredibly difficult. Um, and it does involve time like really spending time in that place, not necessarily living the way that a lot of expats, international teachers live where you are, you know, in a place for a limited period of time. And even when you are, you are, for example, taking holidays in other places and not necessarily getting to see the home country as much as someone that lives there as opposed to as a tourist. I suppose so. But, you know, it, it depends or not depends, but, you know, uh, if you marry into a culture like I married a Dominican, I lived far more Dominican than my students did in the more uh, traditional sense. Um, we have friends that have married uh, Korean people. They live in Korea, and they, he speaks Korean and is very immersed. I would say he's definitely stage four. Oh, yeah. You know, he speaks Korean fluently. He's into it. Uh, he's into the culture. He not understands the culture, things like that. So I think if you marry into it as well, it provides an insight that most expats don't have. Agreed. But in our in our field of education too, you know, five four to six years is a pretty long tenure at a school. I'd say that's the norm. Two is not uncommon. Three is not uncommon. Beyond six, like that's a that's a quite a track record. Yeah. For not just it doesn't reflect just on you as a person, but on the school itself. And so, um, expats tend to have an itch of wanting to move from place to place, which also prevents us from really settling in and. Um, you know, meshing and melding with the host culture. Yeah, there's there's always kind of that that like thought in the back of your head a little bit, like 
hmm, is there anywhere else that I want to go? Is there anywhere else that has a lifestyle that I'm interested in experiencing? And so, yeah, that, that definitely prevents immersion. So most expats, especially if you live abroad for a while, you stick in stage three. That's just where you are. And stage three is parts of stage one, parts of stage two, and just normal life. Um, you know, stage, stage one, maybe you're in your home, you're in your host country, and you go and you see a new site, great. Maybe someone's driving like an idiot, and it drives you nuts, happens. Um, all these little things happen. But at some point, some expats decide to move back home. And if you've only been abroad a year or two, and even then, it still happens, you get used to things in a certain way. Even, even then it can still happen, but when you go back home, things don't work the way you're used to. And you experience reverse culture shock. You're going into your own culture, a place where you speak the language. You know the people. You theoretically know how things are supposed to work <laughs> and what you're supposed to do. But you've gotten so used to things happening another way and or different ways that everything feels foreign to you. And I think anytime anybody moves back home uh, after, after, after having lived abroad, they're going to hit some parts of this, some harder than others. And for us, for me especially, it hit really hard when we moved to Hawaii. Yeah, you, had, you hadn't really ever lived in the U.S. as an independent adult professional. I left, I left the U.S. when I was 24. Yeah. And I came back when I was 33 or 34. Yeah. Okay. You were out for a while. <laughs> so I was out for a while, and I'd never been an adult in the U.S. So for me, <laughs> little things like, you know, um, buying a car. You know, in Korea, we owned a car. We had help with someone who spoke, uh, with a Korean-American who spoke English and Korean. In the DR, we didn't have a car. We used public transportation, but yeah. we were too poor to afford a car anyway. Yeah. In China, we had a scooter, which was fine. You just... That was not hard to buy. There was no real transaction that needed to be done. No licenses or anything like that. You give some guy cash, he gives you a scoot. Easy peasy. <laughs> uh, so then we got to Hawaii, and I was like, all right, I don't know how to buy a car. I don't know what I'm looking for, and I don't know what to do. Uh, I don't know how to find an apartment. Uh, all of these things that you are not really worried about when you're abroad or simply work differently, we were like, we've never done this. We had never signed up lease together the way that leases work in the U.S. Like we had a lease in the DR, but it was, it wasn't really that difficult. It was, yeah. No. Um, so you know, trying to find and buy a car, we bought one. We bought a used, a used rental car. Which don't ever do that. It's stupid. <laughs> they don't work as well. They've been run into the ground. So I don't recommend that. Um, you know, and then we were in an apartment and trying to figure out all of our bills. Which is really not that hard. That didn't take that much. But it was still a small thing getting used to. When something goes wrong with our apartment, we're used to being able to call somebody else. Be like, hey, so-and-so, uh, because the schools oftentimes will lease apartments on our behalf. Or in China, we had one that was leased by another foreigner. And we're like, hey, uh, this happened. What do we do? But in Hawaii, if something went wrong, we had to find a repair guy. We had to call somebody. Our landlord would be like, hey, can you go do this for me because you're living there? And so I was like, ah, fine. I don't want to, but I have to. And so some of these little things just were frustrating. Um, taxes for us, you know, when you work and live abroad, depending on who you work for, 
most countries will tax you on your income there, which means the U.S. can't tax you because of double taxation. So your your most your income up to a certain point is excluded. You still have to report it, but it is excluded. It's called the foreign earned income exclusion. And so going back to the U.S. and trying to figure out W-4s and how much money you have taken out, all that stuff was mind-bogglingly difficult for me. It was, it was definitely an experience. And of course, we have to add on top of that the fact that it was in the middle of an immigration process. So like figuring out residencies and um, my citizenship process um, when it finally happened, having the pandemic and office closures thrown in there was also kind of like, oh, okay, this is new. Health insurance, what's covered in your health insurance, all of that. But I think that the hardest part of reverse culture shock is trying to kind of insert yourself in a culture that is already established without you. That, I think, I'm going to subsume that under the concept of mindset. So when you go home, like if you've lived abroad for a while, you tend to have a different outlook, different perspective, a different mindset of how the world works. Oh, yeah. You're experiencing other cultures on the, on the regular. You're interacting with people from different places. Um, you're used to things not working. You're saying, you know, uh, inshallah, <laughs> you know. Happens and when it happens. Happens when it happens. You are thrown into a new place with other new people who you're forced to bond with, and you form close friendships. Yeah. So going back home, as Anna said, you are in your own culture, but everyone is already in their places. They have their families, they have their work. And unless you really know people and have old friends there, and even then it can be difficult. For me, it's this mindset of you, of where I'm coming from doesn't match where they're coming from. Absolutely. There's a, a huge differences in experiences and an outlook in life. And you definitely feel kind of self-conscious, like even talking about your previous experiences because, you know, people are polite and they listen, but eventually they can't really connect with what you're, where you're coming from. And there's kind of that awkwardness of like, okay, I don't, I don't really know how to relate to you. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's pretty much it. You know, when I, when I left, so yeah, I was a teenager and I went to college in the U S but so much of who I am now has been defined by my time living in other countries. And that, I can't relate that to people when I go back home. They're not curious about it. And that's fine. But, you know, the things that they are curious about, I'm not, because their experiences have been shaped in ways that are very different than my own. And I want to share what I have learned and what I've experienced with them, the same way they want to share with me. But there's a mutual... Um, not dislike, but mutual uninterest of what the other has gone through. And that's not true for everybody. You certainly meet people back home who are like, oh, tell me more. I want to know about this, for sure. this and this. Um, you know, right now in the, I'm in the process of communicating with one of my old professors. Um, I have to actually send an email today. Um, and he would like to FaceTime to talk about some different things. And so because he's curious as to what I'm doing. And that's great, and I love being able to connect with that. But when we went to Hawaii, you know, Hawaii is very family-oriented, and it was difficult for us to make friends. When I started at my school, people had been there 10, 15, 20, 30-plus years. Same. And they're lovely, pe lovely people, and I loved working with them. It was a yeah. wonderful place. But it was hard to break into... Um, their social aspects of life versus ours as new people, not really knowing people, not having kids. Um, and 
just that mindset. But then again, I, I have to say, all credit to where I work too, they were very curious about my experiences and what I had done. And that um, was, a, as I say, shout out to Han Holy. You guys were great. <laughs> yeah, and there's definitely, at least, I don't know if this has happened to you, but for me, for example, when I go to the Dominican, I sometimes feel like time stopped and nothing has changed since you left but at the same time you don't know where anything is and you feel like you're a foreigner in your own country and it's like am i even supposed to be here like do i really know where anything is like am i like giving myself away that like i haven't been here in a long time like when you're supposed to know where you're going and you continue to take wrong turns and streets that you used to like go through every single day or like every single week and it's like but this looks exactly the same and it feels exactly the same but then when you're trying to move around it's like okay but it's not the same and you're not the same and maybe that's where the big difference is is that you're not the same i think that's what it is um is that you're not the same and uh, it's not that things at home haven't changed and people haven't moved on they have and they they're better people in better places but you just no longer you've changed enough that you don't fit into that place anymore yeah i think uh, that doesn't that mean you can't it. you relearn it you oh, definitely sure. relearn it. You know, we relearned to live in Hawaii, and it's still, again, we still had stage two in Hawaii. For me, again, it was driving. <laughs> um, I struggled with that, because, mostly because there was just such bad traffic for a small island. Uh, but, you know, you get used to it again. But now we're back out, and, you know, we've had very little, if any, stage two culture shock here. Yeah, it's been it's been a really easy transition um but i think that a lot of that not only it's just that you know the country functions really well for for most things and we've been able to pretty much do everything that we wanted to do in a really short period of time to get settled and we we have pretty pretty well set routines and, and that kind of thing but also i think that you know experience and our ability to like manage expectations has helped a lot and we are both in a place where like we really understand what we want from a place where we live and a place where we work. And, and that helps with, with managing just your overall expectations of the place we live in. Yeah, I think our experience really plays a big difference. It doesn't mean we still don't disagree on things. You know, oh, yeah. We disagreed on how much we wanted to ship and we ended up not <laughs> shipping anything. And I think in hindsight, that was the right choice. Our apartment's furnished and I don't know what we really would have shipped. Honestly, like I'm thinking of the things that we still have in at home that could be shipped and most of those things really are things that are like sentimental value or like books that we love and that kind of thing and they can just come in, in bits and pieces. Yeah, I mean in the grand scheme it wouldn't have been enough to really qualify as a shipment in God, the grand no. scheme. No, no, no. So that being said, when you are an expat too, <laughs> you get access to things that you don't get back home. You know, uh, things that you can afford maybe that you can. Uh, we have a house cleaner a couple times a week. Um, it's amazing. It is amazing. I don't clean the bathrooms. That was a huge reverse culture shock for me, going back and having to clean bathrooms. Oh, my clean. God. <laughs> uh, we, I hadn't cleaned a bathroom in, like, eight years. So <laughs> it just wasn't something we ever had to do. Yeah, having to, like, get used to, oh, my God, we have our jobs, and now we also have to make time to clean our apartment when we're tired. Yeah, that was that was hard, and that sounds like it sounds like oh my god, you guys are so. Ugh. But it's the kind of thing that you get used to as an expat, like having access to oh, you know, you can afford help, and and it's a great thing to be able to like provide a job for someone in the culture and that kind of thing. And then you go back home, and it's like yeah, you can't afford someone to help you with your house stuff. 
Okay. I mean, you could if you budget right, you know, and it's not to say we, you know, the, the other big last thing, because we're going to run out of time here, the last thing that was really a big culture shock for us uh, was paying rent. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, you know, again, as we said, most, at least for as international education goes, schools will at least help you find a place at the very least, and most schools either offer housing or provide reimbursement or stipend. And so not only was this our first time really renting, I, I rented, I guess, when I was in college in Seattle, uh, but we were renting in one of the more expensive cities in the U.S. in Honolulu. And it was a beautiful, we had to move once because our, our landlord sold the apartment. I am like her. <laughs> we got a new landlord in a much better location. I mean, I won't say how much we paid because it wasn't cheap. But It wasn't cheap. Let's just say that. But we could go on the, our lanai, our balcony, and see the water and see Waikiki Beach. Yeah. So the whole thing about like location, location, location in real estate, it's true. You pay for location. Yeah. And so that was pretty fantastic. That's it was. Anyways, it was. it's been nearly 45 minutes so, and um, I think we'll wrap it up for today. That's just our little spiel on Culture Shock and what it's like. Next week, we'll talk a bit more about just some of the day-to-day -day things that, what it's like being an expat, uh, health insurance, groceries, licenses. Again, all these things we have help with, right? You know, I got my license here in Saudi. The school did a wonderful job of helping me and getting everything I needed. It took all of, uh, you know, 20 minutes. Whereas Hawaii, we had to make an appointment 15 months out, wait five years, <laughs> all sorts of crazy Stop. things. But it took forever. Anyways. Before we go, though, I just wanted to like take a minute to talk to you if you are watching and you're going through like the deep, difficult parts of culture shock. Please reach out to people. Nobody's going to think that you're weak or anything like that because you're going through culture shock or you feel homesick. Reach out to your support system back home. Find someone that you trust where you live or where you work and they will listen to you. Um, and it really does get better. I thought after China that I was not cut for being an expat. I really thought that it wasn't for me and Cameron was just going to walk out on me because he needed a wife that was more flexible. And it was, I really thought that I wasn't going to make it. I thought that genuinely but I have, and now, like, I'm, I look at myself and how much I've grown, even as a person, and even things like how I'm able to handle airport delays now. I'm like, oh, it's fine. Let's just get another coffee and wait it out. It's like, what? Because I'm a very, like, type A person and, like, maybe a little bit anal, but it, can, it I know it sounds super cliche, but it really does get better you can grow you can get past it and if it's not for you there's nothing wrong with that it's not for you go back home you know live your life be happy it's fine another story for another time is her getting locked out of our apartment in china stop <laughs> pretty funny it is pretty funny anyways i can laugh at it. that's all we have for you guys today and um until next time probably we'll, we'll try to keep these going every week but maybe every two weeks it just depends on our schedule yes yeah. teachers we get a little busy and we have some busy weeks coming up. We can drop up some um, resources on Culture Shock in the description box if you want to read more about it and what it's like and how to help people with Culture Shock and that kind of thing. We can definitely do that for you. I'll let her do that. She's, <laughs> she's the researcher. Yeah, I am. Okay. All right. 
See you guys. Until next time, thank you for joining us. Make sure to uh, like and subscribe, please. Thank you for your support.